Hello, I'm Pete Docker and you're listening to Shining a Diamond Light. Hello and welcome to Shining a Diamond Light. I'm Molly Fry. I'm Tim Geit. And today we'll be talking with Dr. Pete Docker, a mechanical engineer who's been looking at how we can use innovations from other fields to improve the quality of our experiments. Pete loves challenging traditional thinking and has travelled across the world to find out new and better ways of doing things. Keep listening to find out how floating tomato ketchup inspired a new method for handling microscopic crystals. How would you explain what it is that you actually do at Diamond? I guess in a way I'm a a technology talent scout, I think is probably the best way (laughs) of describing it. I uh, go out to conferences and look in new places for new ways of doing things. Scientists need new ways of getting sample in, into the beam for X-ray diffraction experiments, and I go around and find ways of doing it, often in quite different ways to what I previously thought. Cool. So you are quite literally travelling around the whole world, looking for the the latest things, yes. the best things, and saying, "That's good. That's what we want at Diamond." It's like a scientific X factor, right? <laughs> <laughs> I find the um, lateral thinking side really fascinating as well because you kind of think of, of science or engineering as as these boxes but really what you're doing is going out and finding these abstractions between these boxes to so few people are able to do it and, I, and luckily I, I seem to be able to do it other people don't <laughs> naturally do it the times I've gone to a company and said can you make me one of these and they go no do you know somebody that can oh yes Jeff in the shop next door can <laughs> But it doesn't. The connection's not there until you cognitively people don't think like that. Yeah. You've asked me a question. I've answered it. There's never. I'm always saying, "Well, actually, use that," or "Oh, could use that." You yeah. Know. Um, Do you think you've always had that sort of mental approach to things, or is that something that you've developed? Yeah, no, I've always this is just terribly pragmatic. <laughs> um, I guess. Yeah, it sounds almost entrepreneurial how you were talking about that. Yeah, I think it is. Um, it's been a. A slight shock to Diamond because they kind of because I'm not working for a beam line. There's not necessarily been a route to to, to progress these things, um, which is primarily why I started having worked out if I took on PhD studentships, I could get access to funding and and other experts to work with, which is what I've done until now. Yeah, because I was going to say that that sort of path is quite interesting. The whole PhD studentship route is very traditional science in a way, and you're doing this with yeah, a well, more technical mindset. I guess I don't quite fit either. I mean, engineering is typically about order and almost lacking in imagination. They're more interested in the, in the numbers on the top of the page matching rather than what something looks like aesthetically or, or even doing something differently. Um, so that's why I kind of don't quite fit into that, if you see what I mean. Mm. But then I've also, from doing a PhD myself, I've been there at three in the morning trying to get an experiment to work and lollipop sticks would do. <laughs> Whereas I describe that in the technical department and they're like, oh my God, there's no drawing number for that. How can, how can you possibly go down that route? But yeah. Take the, I don't take the eyes off the, pie, off the prize. You know, how can I get to the prize? That's what the motivator is. In your words, what is Diamond Light Source? What's Diamond Light Source? It is a government facility for, the, for exploring matter, I guess, and, and, and drugs and biology. Also, the fact that you can do science you can't do anywhere else. I mean, here, with here and LCLS in, in the States, we're looking at photosystem 2, which is responsible for photosynthesis. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get more fundamental than that, you know. We're able to image the protein in its dark state and then excite it with laser light and see how it changes its structure, which is the signal it normally gets 
to grow leaves and plants. Yeah. You know? So you're doing this worldwide search for interesting things. What level of diamond are you interested in? Like, where is the things that you find? Where do they go? They go into actually making the science possible. It's, it's the, the, the classic um, science funding model. We'll get the money to build the system and we'll worry about how to put the sample in front of it afterwards. If we say we can't put the sample in at the beginning, we won't get the funding for building the thing to start with. Mm. Yeah, so you're working at that level where we've got a big detector or something like this. People can think it's like a big microscope, basically, yeah. in terms of how it functions. Yeah. And we need to find a way to put the sample in better yes. or whatever it is. But you're in that part, so in the experimental hutch, basically, Aspects where this stuff's getting at. done. I mean, the dream is you've got a sample with zero mother liquor around it, um, no support structure, and you get the, the best image from that. But obviously, life's not like that until you've got acoustic levitation. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get much closer to being able to, to suspend it and rotate it, etc. So we know that you've actually been working on acoustic levitation here at Diamond. Could you explain a bit more about what it is and what drew you into looking at it? A classic, I went to Nanotech a good few years ago um, and I had lots of oh-my-God moments where you think, wow, okay... Initially, I was seeing um, you could have like a, was the big conference you said. Yeah, right? yeah. So you you, so you can have a channel um, of a certain of a, a, a certain width, and you but using sound you can bounce the sound wave across that channel. And finally, you get the, the gap the right and the wavelengths right. You create an area of low pressure down the middle, so all the particles line up in a row. And you, it's a bit like music with guitar. You got the, where the chords are, and you can actually have more. You have more lines up. And I was like, oh my god! So. I went to the next guy's conference and he'd got two of these actuators and he's lining them up into a grid. So you, you had a, a soup, if you like, of crystals mm. in a chamber and by putting these two actuators on, they all just went to the nodes in a grid. I was thinking, genius. You know, because well, rather than having all these big goniometers for alignment, you could have this thing set up and the particles go in, you image them, you move on to the next ones. So I guess if we could take a step back for a second and, and describe what is a goniometer, because that's not a standard word that you, you learn in high school, A-level science sure. classes. It just allows you to have multiple orientations of something. Okay. From what I understand, you've got multiple stages that interact with each other. So with traditional protein crystallography, you have a, a crystal in a loop and then you rotate it through known geometries mm-hmm. and take the, almost like the photographs the images yeah. of it, and then you can piece them all together. So as you, as basically in traditional, you have this little crystal in a little loop, and every time you turn it, you get a different picture that helps make the full. And then, yeah. How big of a stage are we talking in a, in a traditional goniometer system? The actual, the, probably the goniometer is, it can easily be the size of this table or something. Yeah, like all, a, all, all a, the a motors desk, and stuff. Desk. Yeah, big yeah. desk, a six-person dinner table. It's not small. Yeah, it's not small and not cheap, so several, several hundred thousand because they'll want to know the X amount of, you know, the, the nanometer position of its positioning and stuff. When that project started, we were, we were looking at traditional stuff, which is the, the, the thing that generates the acoustics is big, heavy, and needs a lot of power, and this bounces it off a mirror, a metal a acoustic mirror. But in the, in the time since we wrote, I wrote the project and made it funded, and them starting, a chap in Bristol started making these little tiny, little tiny speakers for a few bucks, in a, in a 3D printed dish on either side and was using it to demonstrate um, soft science to children in schools and stuff like levitating ketchup and things like that. And they thought, well, hey, that, that'd be really neat. And then the race came on for us to, to develop it sufficiently that it could hold the sort of sample sizes we wanted and, uh, and, and, and get beam time, which we did thanks to Robin Owen and Danny Axford. 
um, for using I-24. Yeah, so these are two of our, our scientists on our I-24 beamline yeah. who've, who've helped to, I guess, test yeah. this. Yes. So I just want to make sure I understand what you're talking about, because I think I might have missed something. <laughs> so, so we've got an acoustical wave coming out, right? So this is back going back to what you said when you went to the first sure, conference yeah, yeah. and you were finding out about this. So we've got some wave coming out, a sound wave. We imagine it goes up and down and up and down, right? And at certain points, we're going to have areas of low pressure. Yeah, so correct. That's, so that's where you six. get those lines, is what you yeah. said. And if you do then have another one, is this right? Then you have basically two sets of lines coming out, and they're so, going to meet at certain so, points. So with this one, with the one we're using now, it's uh, the, the speakers are in like a dish format. So they... Um, they all interact with each other and they create this area of low pressure, which is where the, where the sample sits. Um, you, depending on how you configure them, you can have like several several locations in there. Yeah, and it's all configured with how they, all the phases that go in between. I think the thing's got about 20 speakers in the bottom, 20 in the top. Um, but the traditional one was just one really loud, essentially looked like a bass speaker. Yeah. It yeah. bounced off this mirror. Um, okay. But what's so nice because of the way that they're shape and they have yeah. this mirror you can control it in three dimensions well, these ones don't actually need the mirror so you can actually okay. just have a single dish and work it but because we wanted more control we put another one is it not same amount of speakers on the top as well yeah um, but it uses milliwatts of power whereas the other ones use, use an awful lot of wattage to, to levitate which again that's energy that's going into your sample that's plenty damaging it where this is milliwatts of power but that's what you're talking you have a 3d volume of some kind and yeah. at certain points in there that's there's a really low level of pressure so all the rest yeah. of the air is basically pushing your sample into yeah. these very precise locations yeah so you can then shine a big laser at it and see what's going on yeah or an x-ray beam yeah, x-ray beam, yeah. yes that's it and that, the whole thing is smaller than that microscope that the stand here you've got yeah so we're looking at something that's about maybe what, 30 centimeters tall at most yeah, half of that probably, yeah, yeah, 20 or something like that. Yeah. So when we're thinking we're going from something potentially the size of a dinner table to the size of, what, less than a shoebox. Yeah. It, it's pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, and, and you know, with the costs, I mean, as well, that's entailed. I mean, most of these rigs, that, when they travel around the world to use them, you know, you've got like a truck taking it around. And I like the idea you've got it in your hand luggage. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully our descriptions have helped you to understand what a goniometer is and how it works. Be sure to look in the description for a link to an article about this work, which includes a video of this acoustic levitation in action. It is really cool to look at. So now we're going back to Pete, who is going to tell us about his not completely traditional route to working in science. So I think maybe it'd be interesting, if you're right with this, to take a little step back in your life and just ask you like, when you were younger so where did you grow up first of all I guess we should ask I grew up down down this end of the country I grew up um, in a place near Cambly which is not that far from here I started a, an apprenticeship at British Aerospace you know in London which basically they they, they, they uh, folded as a company I spent a few years doing all sorts of odd jobs and things and then I went back to college in my 20s and ended up doing the degree and the masters and the PhD. So you said that you were very, you described yourself earlier as very pragmatic, right? So yeah. Where did that come from, or how was that expressed when you were younger? Um, 
did you have like little projects on the go? Like, no, I guess it's a frustration because I wasn't allowed to do the, like these this. sort of things <laughs> when I was 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 little. I wasn't no, I wasn't allowed to do anything. But um, I guess it, that sort of come around later. I guess it, the creativity side has really come to when I've been in research. I guess right. I mean, in, uh, oh, I mean, I have vintage cars and I have to repair them as well. But ultimately, I guess in this in this context, it's been through doing science and being allowed to find other ways of doing things okay but you were you became an apprentice so that's pretty like hands-on yeah type things as well right so you must have had some desire to do that kind of work or was it just what seemed like a good idea at the time it was a good idea at the time (laughs) (laughs) so when you were doing that apprentice work did you ever think that you'd be in this sort of position at no a really big fancy shiny no not at all scientific facility Abs- absolutely not at all um no i kind of yeah i just uh caught up in in academia for many years and postdoc for many years um and then you sort of become slightly unemployable <laughs> <laughs> because you know companies for example want you to make them a widget or they want you to do marketing for them but they want an end product Whereas typically, like a diamond, you, you're constantly you're looking for like improvement in science. So the, the currency is different. Yeah, the currency is knowledge rather than profit. That's quite an important subtle difference as well, isn't it? You know that we're we're not dealing in though though we're trying to find funding and all of this. It's it really is knowledge. Isn't knowledge it? And, and that's a bit. I think it's quite forward. exciting. Yeah. I mean, when I was in America, I mean, the the was under a mountain in California. You're there doing that. Yeah, there's nothing more cutting edge than what an expert can do. In more terms, of what it's finding out, you're like, oh my god, yeah, look at me, little me, I'm here somehow. <laughs> How did that happen? So, I guess I should just ask before we finish if anybody wants to find out more about the work that you've been doing, sure, that you were talking about earlier, where should they go? Um, email me, um, for the easiest. Yeah, we have some things on the website as well. We do. So we've got, as you talked about the on-chip goniometer earlier, we've got some news on that on the website. So we can make sure in the yeah. show notes that we've got notes to those different places. Okay. Um, so what is the one takeaway that you wish people would know about your work and what you do every day? If you had to summarise it into one nugget. Oh. Um, take home. Just to fund it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. That'd be it, really, I think. Excellent. So thanks again to Pete for talking with us. We really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Pete doesn't like to follow the normal rules of science, but his work is having an amazing impact on the research which takes place at Diamond every day. You can contact Pete at pete.docker at diamond.ac.uk and if you have any comments or feedback about the podcast, send those to podcast at diamond.ac.uk. And make sure to follow Diamond Light Source on Facebook and Twitter for even more stories like this. Thanks for listening. Bye.